0: RPG Lessons Learned. When the game is over, when your players are gone, that's when lessons are learned. We're at RPGLL Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Podcast at gmail.com. And check us out online at RPGLessonsLearned.com. Hi, welcome to RPG Lessons Learned, the show where you can learn from our mistakes. And with me today is Brian.
1: Hey, Dusty. How's it going?
0: It's going very well. So, Brian, it's just you and me today. And we're going to be rolling up your character for our upcoming Castles and Crusades Drakenland campaign. Now, having said that, we don't want to rip off the shtick of the character creation cast, so we have no intention to do this kind of thing regularly. Um, It just so happens that Brian missed our session zero, which we already talked about in a previous episode. And this is Brian and I catching up and, and making his character for the campaign. So I'll share with Brian what everyone else is is pulling together, and we'll work through all the character creation steps for him. So Brian, you have in front of you Eric Campion's Castles and Crusades character sheet, which is a spreadsheet that we're using in, in Google Sheets to make your character. And you also have the Castles and Crusades cheat sheet in front of you, which covers character creation in enough depth for us today, Correct. I sure do. So Brian, why don't I start off by giving you kind of an overview of the Drakenland campaign? Um, we spent some time last in, in session zero of Drakenland really defining where you're coming from. Where you're coming from is a country that's just finished up a major war and you guys are soldiers. You're 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 neophytes, you're newbies, your rookies, you're you know, FNGs, whatever the correct military term is. You were trained, you went through training, but you never quite made it to the front. You were on your way to the war when the war ended. And now you're back home. And this, this war has been going on for so long that this country had built up a huge military. And there were all these soldiers sort of milling about with nothing to do. And, and that, you know, created problems in and of itself. So the Duke who runs this country that you work for The Duke has decided to send out, you know, little garrisons, little emissaries to populate embassies to support ambassadors in various countries. And you guys are headed to the mysterious Drakenland. Draconland is a place where, you know, if someone's sitting around the campfire telling ghost stories, that ghost story probably takes place in Draconland. It's, yes, it's across a sea to the to the west you have to head west to get to it Um, in fact when we open up you will be landing um, on the eastern coast of Drakenland, having made your westward voyage and you'll you'll discover lots of things about that country your mission in that country just so you're aware is to curry not favor um curry popularity i suppose build the duke's popularity with the people The Duke has told you, look, make sure the people of Drakenland have a good impression of me, and he really wants you to work from the bottom up. Let the commoners become interested in the Duke and become interested in the Duke's men and what the Duke's men are doing to help the common people of Drakenland. And the Duke's a big believer in acquiring political power that way from the bottom up. So that's the campaign pitch for what you'll be doing. In session one, you'll land in Drakenland and we'll start our adventure. But that's what we're after. Okay. Okay, let's go ahead and create your character. So the first step in Castles and Crusades is to go ahead and roll 3d6 six times and assign those scores to your attributes. Now, Brian, we went ahead and did 4d6, dropped the lowest.
1: Okay, so I already pulled out uh, 1d6, so we pull out two more. Okay, so 46, six times.
0: Yep, 46, and then drop the lowest. So you'll need some scratch paper to record your six scores, and then decide how you want to allocate them.
1: Okay, so let's do this. 46, six times. Three, six, and five. Let's go one. Three, six, five. Uh, Oh, wow. Three twos and a five, so, well... That's one two two five. Too bad it's not two two seven. Favorite show of mine from the eighties. Ooh, uh, Ooh. two sixes and a four. Nice. Four six six. So it's three times. Um. Oh wow! Six and three threes. So this is interesting. I mean, right, well, I guess it's it is a D six. So there's only so many options.
0: Yeah, so we like. Mike rolled quite well. Um, Chris, I think, struggled a little bit. He did finally break into double-digit numbers, but you guys are certainly not on totally equal footing as far as your attribute scores.
1: Okay, 6-5-2. and two. And last one. Uh, 5 two, 2 again. Interesting.
0: Mike actually rolled an 18 on his first or second roll.
1: Oh, so I'm supposed to... Okay, so I'm supposed to add up. Yeah,
0: you got to sum those up.
1: Okay, never mind. Well, I, 14, so 14, uh, 9, uh, 16. Okay, so my highest score is a 16, so my GMs are indifferent when I roll my own characters.
0: <laughs> Perfect. All right, technically the next step is to go ahead and put those attribute scores to attributes. Go ahead and allocate them. However, my advice to you is... Let's go ahead and pick your class first. So, Brian, if you look at the cheat sheet, pick a class of Step 3, and you can see the cheat sheet covers every single class. Now, picking a class in Castles and Crusades is a little different than D&D 5e. Um, It's different than Pathfinder, and it's different than 4th edition. In all of those D20 games, Mm -hmm. once you pick a class, there's further customization that you do as you level. So as you level, you pick feats and you specialize, you know, in Pathfinder. Or in D&D 5e, you pick different paths and you specialize. Um, In 4e, you pick different, uh, what were they called? Not not quite careers, but something like that. You'd pick a, a, a paragon path. That's not the case in Castles and Crusades. Once you pick Monk, for example, it's a completely linear progression. At third level, you get this. At sixth level, you get this. At ninth level, you get this, and that's the way it is for all monks everywhere. But there are quite a few classes in Castles and Crusades. So if you want to be that more armored fighter, but you don't want to depend on a god, they have a whole class for knight instead of fighter. So I want you to read through these classes and ask me questions, and I want you to pick a class for this campaign. For whatever
1: reason, in conversation, when you guys ran through session zero, I thought that I was uh, pre-selected, voluntold to be a cleric.
0: (laughs) Um, We need you to be something that would be appropriate for the sergeant to be. We've decided since you, uh, with everything going on in your personal life, you might have a difficult time making the actual sessions. We wanted you to roll a character where if I needed to step in and, and roll that character or play that character for the for the session, um, you could be sort of a, an authority figure that could have more intel, etc., that would make sense for the GM to play. Or that could get called away on different responsibilities. We had certainly landed on that. We had talked about, you know, Mike pulled his typical, the party needs a healer. And we discussed the fact that you seemed to really like playing lawful good characters yeah um you've said that before on the show yeah so mike had sort of pre-selected you for cleric but we can make anything work i want you to play something that you're interested in um
1: so you know i am entirely okay with playing a cleric it's kind of where my after mike put that in my head it's kind of where i've been uh thinking and I've already got my name down and uh i i actually kind of want to do a cleric so i mean if if i hate to i i hate to ruin the flow of the podcast
0: no i think it's fine if you want to be a cleric let's have you be a cleric yeah i think uh, i think cleric
1: is where i where i want to go i think we need a healer so i have been playing <laughs> nathan is going to message us about this i've been playing dragon warrior three uh which was originally way back on the nes I've been, i'm playing a. Super Famicom port of it, but uh, my party has a cleric, and his name is Nicholas, so uh, just so that I can remember his name, uh, the cleric that I wanted to create, I wanted to name him Nicholas after that character, so.
0: Now, did you, so in some of these old games, you could name the character, but was the character pre-named? Pre-named. You should, you should pull the sprite of that character and somehow incorporate him into your character sheet.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah I, I could totally do that. That'd be really easy, Yeah.
0: All right, cool. So you're Nicholas the Cleric.
1: Nicholas the Cleric.
0: So for class, go ahead and hit that drop down, and you can choose Cleric. This spreadsheet is phenomenal, by the way.
1: Oh, nice. Okay, cool.
0: And it it went ahead and pre-populated your hit die, it pre-populated your your base armor class, and several other things.
1: And he's going to be human. All right. Because my sprite's a human.
0: (laughs) Nicholas the Human Cleric. All right. Nicholas is a very
1: human name, anyway.
0: Let's look at the cheat sheet and figure out what your prime attribute is. Every class has a prime attribute that you must choose. So for the cleric on the cheat sheet, I see the prime attribute that you must choose is wisdom. So there in column A, go mm-hmm. ahead and set wisdom as yes. It's primary.
1: If I, just, I literally just have to... Yes, okay.
0: Just why, yep. Now notice what that did. See how the target number it's to the right...
1: Changed from 18 to 12.
0: Changed from 18 to 12. When you have a prime attribute, it lowers your target number.
1: So if I... I mean, so basically, it, I, I, it has to. If I scored all sixes, uh, it would give me a twelve as a default. Is I'm, I'm assuming that, or
0: no, 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 no. that's your target number. So, when uh, I, target, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, when I say make a wisdom saving throw, that's all I say. I say make a wisdom saving throw. You already know your target number based on if it's prime or not. Okay. So when I say make a wisdom saving throw, you're trying to hit a twelve. So you roll your d20, you add your wisdom bonus, and you're trying to hit a twelve. Okay. And by the way, as you level up, your saving throw further out to the right will populate because when you truly roll saving throws, you get to add your level. So as you oh, level wow. up, your your saving throws get easier. Wow. It really is a simple system. Now, I can I can make rolls harder. I might say make a make a make a make a, a class 5. I think it's called class 5. I don't think it's I don't think it's DC 5. But uh if I say make make a difficulty 5 saving throw, what that means is look at your target number and add 5 to it. So right now, the way your character sheet is, if I said make a difficulty 5 strength saving throw, you would add 5 to your target number. So you need to hit a 23. If I say make a difficulty 5 wisdom saving throw, you need 17. to hit a 17. Okay. It's the equivalent of having a plus 6 bonus. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's so, great. I,
1: I, that, that makes perfect sense.
0: Now, as a human, so every class dictates one prime attribute. Every race gets to choose one other prime attribute. And humans get to choose two additional prime attributes. So choose two more attributes to set to prime.
1: Okay. So let me think this through. To my character, he is the sergeant, he is um, the, he, he's sort of an authority figure. Um, how do I want to play him as a character? So I think that he needs to be, like, doggedly determined. So to do that, I think I need would need to affect his strength and his constitution.
0: That makes perfect sense.
1: So that's how, what I'm going to do. Done.
0: Okay. And Nathan's already a bard, so your, your party is good on charisma. Do you want to go ahead and choose your attributes? So you've rolled your six attributes. Go ahead and put them in the appropriate attribute slot.
1: So, okay. So by doing that, um, attributes. So this is something that, uh, uh, an enemy potentially might roll against. So if I put 16 in my intelligence, that is, uh, what, um, say, uh, I'm trying to think. I don't, I, I don't know the system. I don't know how the monsters work. But no, no, say no. It's,
0: it's it's just like Pathfinder or D and D. The attribute score, once you put it in there, it you almost never use it again. Okay. What you really care about is the modifier. So you want to put your 16 where you want your highest modifier. So think about the rolls that you'll be making, and put the 16 where it'll do the most good.
1: Okay. So for this, the modifier like. And for the strength modifier would be, like, toward, like, an attack, right? Correct. Or
0: Toward melee attack.
1: So, uh, so for, like, healing spells, that, that would be towards intelligence.
0: Actually, for you, spellcasting is based on your wisdom. But even, even healing spells, though, they're not actually modified by your wisdom. Your wisdom would modify things like your, uh, your turn undead for healing spells it just automatically works. You lay hands on an ally and if it's if it's cure light wounds, it's a d8 hit points, moderate wounds is 2d8 and serious wounds is 3d8.
1: So, uh I'm I'm a fighting cleric, so I'm going to put my 16 on my strength. There you go. So, uh then on uh I'm not really <laughs> charisma 9 easy i don't care so much about that
0: um <laughs> everyone's dumb stat
1: yeah every, yeah it literally is uh intelligence i put my nine there so put my 14 in wisdom constitution i'll put my 13 in dex i'll put my 12 done
0: all right now you see how that populated your saving throws yeah So now, um, I don't know why it's plus 9 and plus 17. It it shouldn't be. It should just be played on 9 and 17. That tells you what you need to roll on the die. Like, you don't need to reference anything. You just roll the die. And if the die, if the flat die roll is 9, then you pass a strength saving throw. That's easy. Yep. Because it's adding the plus 2 modifier, and it's adding 1 for your level. All right. Let's look at the cheat sheet and see what's next. We've recorded your attribute modifiers. You have picked a class, and picking your class, let's go ahead and record everything else about your class.
1: Sorry, so uh, Maurice is human.
0: Yep, well, look at your look at the class. Look at page one of, this, of the, of, of the oh, yeah. uh, cheat sheet. So the hit die was already populated. The mm-hmm. bonus to hit was already populated. You need to choose your alignment. I'll
1: do uh, neutral good.
0: Makes sense. Let's go ahead and roll that D8 hit die. So... Um, what we're doing is the house rule that for first level, you get max hit points. So you can just go ahead and put an eight in your max hit points. And in fact, Brian, you'll be putting a nine. Can you tell me why?
1: Because of the wisdom modifier?
0: Nope. Close. Dude, it always modifies hit points. Constitution.
1: Oh, I don't, so yeah, okay.
0: You're adding your plus one con. So we're, we're pretending like... Um, For the sake of our house rule, for your first level, we're pretending like you rolled an 8 on your D8. And then every time you roll your hit points from now on, as you get a level, you get another D8. Um, You're always going to add that plus 1 from your con.
1: So every level is another D8? Yes. So what's the like behind that? So what's the logic behind going from level 1 to level 2 and then your hit points doubling? That seems excessive.
0: You're questioning the very foundations upon which D and D are built, Brian. I'm not sure I can answer that question for you. Um, no, and also- I
1: get all that. I guess I haven't played a level one character in so long uh-huh. that the idea that my character could potentially double, but so that you don't have that when you go from level two to level three or level three to a four or four or five or five to a six.
0: No, it's just that first jump, yes. With that
1: first jump is a potential double, and like there, I can't figure out a way to translate that to the real world like there's i can't i can't figure out how that would actually apply to reality so
0: i could see it i i think there are jobs where survivability doubles you know, once you make it past a certain point in the I mean, job
1: yeah i mean yeah i mean i mean yeah i mean that makes sense
0: keep your head down don't volunteer you've learned those things that will help you make it yeah that makes sense all right let's go ahead and put a nine on your current hit points as well okay okay Let's fill out your your racial class and other special abilities. If you head back to the cheat sheet, you'll see those abilities. Mm -hmm. So spells, you get three zero-level spells and one first-level spell, as well as turn undead. So what you'll want to do back in your character sheet is put your class abilities here and I'll just go ahead and do it here. See? So what
1: you're doing is you're just typing it into the...
0: Yeah, I'm literally just populating it. Okay. Oh, and in fact, I don't need to, because if you look down below at the bottom of the character sheet, because you chose Cleric, and because you already did your Intelligence and your Wisdom, see how you've got a 3 and a 2? Yeah. In cell G, 50 mm-hmm. and 51? That tells you how many spells you have, so we don't even need to record that. Your special ability is basically turn undead. Alright, let's go ahead and roll your starting gold. So, roll 2d10... And multiply that by 10.
1: Okay. So 130.
0: Nice. So on page two, I'm going to go ahead and put for your first item 130 gold pieces. Now, here's where you will need to reference the rest of the cheat sheet. I want you to purchase your starting equipment. Now, a couple things before you do that. Sure. We are tracking encumbrance in this game.
1: Oh wow, that's new.
0: It is new. Well, so,
1: not new, not new to, you know, RPGs and tabletop, but it's new to
0: us. Yeah, pretty much every system we've played has that concept, but we are doing it for the first time. So I want to point out some areas of the spreadsheet. You see on the right hand side where it says container name? Yeah. You can actually hit that drop down and choose different containers, assuming you purchase these containers. And any items you put in that container will have the encumbrance value cut in half because you're wearing the item. And it makes sense, right? Intuitively, yeah. it's it's half as difficult or less to throw a torch in your backpack as it is to constantly carry that thing around. So you'll want to put some things in your containers. Over here on the right, once you figure out what armor you're gonna buy, you should go ahead and list the armor here. Uh, but, but, but let's see here. Let's say you bought plate mail. The encumbrance value for that might be eight. I'm making stuff up. But for Warren, you're gonna say yes, and that cuts the encumbrance down.
1: It makes total sense.
0: Let's go ahead and have you reference the equipment lists and then we'll we'll come back in for the audience and tell them what you've purchased.
1: Okay. I know only have 130 gold, but I really want that full plate, so I'm just gonna ask the shopkeeper really nicely if he'll, you know, just let me slide on the eight hundred and seventy.
0: He will not. Okay uh we're we're gonna we're we're doing it this way because i really want getting full plate to be kind of a a big deal yeah yeah
1: no of course so dusty um i'm looking through the equipment list here and i'm seeing like tents do i need a tent i mean what if it rains
0: uh let's not worry about it to that level because you will be in a garrison and you will be able to draw some equipment you are you are outfitting yourself so if you go on an expedition that requires a tent, let's just go ahead and assume that your embassy will issue that to you.
1: Can, so I can, can I assume the same thing with other items like uh, cords, uh, crowbars, and things like that, or just tents?
0: Let's just assume it with like camping gear, like pretty common camping gear, Okay, things that we would consider personal effects um even personal weapons those those you'll be buying out of your character's like, budget. If
1: it's something it would be like in, a, in an adventurer's kit or whatever we we are responsible for that. Yes. It comes out of our per diem, but we're responsible.
0: Yes, there okay. you
1: go. There you go. Okay, so um I'm done with what I've selected. So again, I my character he is um he is lawful neutral. He's he's sort of a little gritty. He is uh stubborn. He's He's you know, he he's all that. So I've selected a two handed sword as my weapon.
0: Okay. Now, I should have I should have said not every god will allow that. Clerics usually have to deal with blunt weapons like war hammers, things like that. So just know that as you create this religion for your cleric, this needs to be a deity that for whatever reason favors two handed swords. Crom. Crom? You're a cleric of Crom? Yeah, sure. <laughs> hey, I mean, it makes
1: sense, right?
0: I think. It, it does to an extent. Remember that yeah. you're currying. I'm fine with it if you are. Remember your goal is to curry favor with populace. Um, with a populace, I should say. And uh, yeah, sure. If, if, if you really care about metallurgy and the riddle of steel, uh, go for it.
1: <laughs> uh, so I purchased a tunic uh, so I don't walk around naked. Uh, with some heavy boots. Um, For my armor, armor is important to me. I got the best armor I could afford, which is scale mail (laughs) with a great helm and a large steel shield.
0: The great helm feels very appropriate to a sergeant. Yeah. So for those listening, um, when he says the best armor he can afford, I think for whatever reason, I'm used to starting with plate mail in whatever in fifth edition or even in fourth edition. And getting new armor wasn't that big a deal. In Castles and Crusades, in this game, I really want getting upgraded armor to feel like a big deal. And it makes sense in, in the feudal economy, you know, armor wasn't cheap. Armor was one of the most expensive things you could possibly splurge on. So it makes total sense that armor should be expensive.
1: Yeah, and in the RPGs that I've played outside of Dragon, uh, outside of uh, like Dungeons and Dragons, and you know the stuff that we've played together, um, getting armor has you know been uh, a long process. It, it's like it's like saving up and getting a new car. Uh, it's expensive. Uh, like uh, Dragon Warrior in all the games, you start out with just basically clothes, and uh, so it makes perfect sense to me that you know that's you know you, you start off with. You basically junk. So, to me, starting off a scale mail is pretty darn good.
0: All right, so I went ahead and changed your sword and your shield to be worn. That
1: makes sense
0: because when you are not carrying, when you are not physically carrying those, you will be wearing yeah. those on your back or whatever. Um, so, um, th- those make sense as being worn objects. Um, let's take a look at page one and see what that encumbrance says. You are lightly encumbered. Okay, so you are encumbered. Um, if you drop one more, and one more point of encumbrance, you'll no longer be lightly encumbered, but right now being lightly encumbered, you have a plus one, um, difficulty to climb and, oh, you just changed it.
1: Yeah. So I'm dropping my 50 foot cord. Okay. Which is giving me back uh five GP as well.
0: You are no longer lightly encumbered. You can now take your full move and you have no penalty to climbing rolls. Great. But this is part of the reason that we're doing encumbrance in this campaign, Brian, is that this sheet makes it so easy to manage. All right. Now, what I want you to do is take your armor from your item list, and I want you to populate your armor and your weapons here on this front page. Yeah, I love
1: this. I was I was prepared to go in and have to manually do all of this. So this is great. So um, my sword is the two-handed sword. So let me select that.
0: All right, go ahead and uh, populate your armor as well, and your shield,
1: scale mail, and shield steel, large, large steel. steel, and then there's a spot for helm.
0: So, a couple. One thing I want to point out: there's no spot for helm, by the way. One thing I want to point out is look at the the shield large steel. You see how it has shield versus number of foes per round. Oh, yeah, neat. So, three people can attack you. Your shield bonus works for those three people. If a fourth person attacks you, your AC is 14 instead of 15.
1: So, is that they, they literally just uh, basically circle me, and the shield is not capable of, uh, yeah, all, of providing added protection?
0: There's that, and there's also the fact that in a in a six-second round, you've already deflected three blows... Gotcha. So deflecting a fourth is, is too much to ask of that shield. So this is just a, an overall, there's there's more nuance to the system. Having said that, um, you will rarely be in a circumstance where you take three attacks in a round.
1: Okay, so helm, uh, great. It says uh, other AC modifiers, I'm assuming it goes in there? Correct. So plus seven?
0: Uh, it doesn't sound quite right. Um, AC
1: me, armor class let, adjustments for helmets applied to two strikes against the head only, did not... Otherwise adjust AC. So, okay, so so someone does A C. So it attacks against the head, it's an additional seven. Otherwise yeah. it doesn't affect it at all.
0: So if someone does a called shot on your head. Oh, that's lame. You can drop the helm if you want.
1: But I want one. Well then keep it. Okay. So I, I hope I hope that the there are monsters and characters and NPCs that really want to attack the head.
0: I'll have to make sure I incorporate that into the game. All right. Uh, I believe, Brian, you have completed your character. All you'll have to do from here is every day before you start your day, go ahead and populate your spell book with the spells that you want your character to uh, to know for that day.
1: Okay. Yeah, that's great. Um, so in the game when we actually get there, should I have that done before I show up for the game? Like, haha, ha, we, you know, I, I just have to do that as my character. My character, you know, is, is ignorant of what's actually going to happen. Or is that more of a strategic thing of, I really just want to make sure that I do that based on whatever we have to do the, that the, uh, the game's going to account for?
0: Well, let's give it context in the world. So the context in the world is, if you actually read the chapter of the book, not just the cheat sheet, but the book based on clerics, the way clerics work is that every morning... You spend an hour in prayer, and it's during that hour that you're really selecting your spells. So you have the opportunity every morning to choose the spells you think might be appropriate for that day. So if you sleep in a dungeon and you know that when you wake up you got more dungeon stuff to do, you might prep a bunch of heal spells. That makes sense. If, if you're sleeping in town and you know you have a difficult negotiation tomorrow, you might prep some uh, some detect chaos or detect evil. So it, it's that hour of, of prayer every morning where you choose your spells.
1: Okay. So, I mean, I'll, I'll just be strategic about how I select my spells. It makes perfect sense.
0: And for those listening at home, too, just so everyone knows, a cleric has access to all the spells at level one, all the spells at level zero. Wizards have to acquire spells for their spell books, but clerics simply have access. They have a more limited spell list, but clerics have access to all of it when they start you know, praying in the morning, and then they pray down to just which ones they want. All right, so Brian, you've made a character. I added a last name to be funny to, to Nicholas.
1: Oh God, I'm afraid Nicholas de de Brabant. Brabant.
0: De Brabant. It's a French name. Do you know what it's from?
1: Uh it's. I mean, I'm trying to think of like the French novels or whatever. You no, know, off the top of my head, which would be like the Three Musketeers.
0: It's Forever Night. Oh, I
1: didn't never watch that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was one of my favorite shows for a long time. It's my favorite vampire fiction ever. Um, my vampire, the masquerade game I'm running for the guys is heavily based on forever night, just because that is the most vampire fiction I've ever consumed. All right, let's go ahead and fill out just a uh, gender height, weight, age. Ex- well, experience will be zero. That's easy. Um, but let's go ahead and fill everything else out and you are completely done with your character.
1: Okay. So male height, uh, so, do I assume that in this time frame that the average male is like five five?
0: Uh, it's up to you. You could be particularly well fed, and you've reached six feet.
1: Oh, I don't think he's gonna be six feet. I'll say five ten. He's around my height.
0: This will be a short party. We have a we hey, have a five ten. Not short,
1: dude. <laughs>
0: five ten is not short. Fair enough.
1: He should be a stocky two ten.
0: But we have a halfling, a gnome, and a half elf.
1: Um, age. Okay, so thinking back to we were we were prepared for so, the
0: let's give it context in the world on the one hand you're a sergeant on the other hand I have zero experience too remember, so, remember uh, that I said or, you were you you were on your way to the war you hadn't made it to the war yet yeah for your platoon where none of you saw combat and you were just coming off of training being sent to the front you did particularly well in training and you were made sergeant yeah you know, and if you want to be an LT I'm fine with that
1: okay the idea of being lieutenant just out of uh, just out of uh, officer candidate school uh, with no experience whatsoever, yeah, I, I like that. Okay, I, I want to change it. I, that's that's what we're doing.
0: All right, you're an LT. So, should we put that in the character's name?
1: Yeah, Lieutenant Nicholas de Bourbon.
0: You can get rid of the de Bourbon if you want.
1: That's fine. I like the name. I'll never use it, but I like it.
0: All right, fair enough. Brian, you have a character. Wow. Yep. So, Duke, you would you will do your Duke Duke Artois, proud. That's my goal. Yep. Um, I'll share share with you a couple things about how your character looks. Uh, it's up to you, you know, facial features, hair color. That's all up to you, and I'll probably ask for that in session one. But just so you're aware, the the tabard that you wear, the guys already came up with this. Um, the tabard of Osea, which is your country, is a red tabard. With a white griffin, and three concentric white circles, which stand for family, fortune, and fortitude. Okay. And the war that you just won was a war of commerce. It was a war to open up, you know, trade ports. Basically, I don't know tariffs, duties, whatever were an issue, and a war broke out over that. So it was very much an economic war over resources, slash tariffs, slash markets. But it was not a it was not a religious crusade or anything like that.
1: Okay. Makes sense.
0: All right. Brian, you are ready for session one of Drakenland. Those of you at home, thank you for listening. People call them postmortems, evaluations, appraisals, reviews, retrospectives. We call them lessons learned, and we're sharing ours with you.